the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of this bright, sunny Georgine Rice Show. Isn't it wonderful? Clark, can you check and see whether or not we reached 80 today? I mean, we still may be climbing, but it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. And my understanding is that will continue tomorrow. And hopefully I'll get a few minutes to stand out in the sunshine and just bask in it. We're glad to have you with us. Clark Hilton is engineering today's program. James Blind is producing. Today we've got uh, quite a lineup. Uh, we're going to talk with Pat Williams. He's the Basketball Hall of Famer Pat Williams, his latest book, and I think he's written a hundred of them, is The Success Intersection. Uh, what happens when your talent meets your passion? He'll join us later this hour. And then in the five o'clock hour, we'll talk with uh, Roger Gannam. He's the Assistant Vice President of Legal Affairs at the Liberty Council. Uh, Sandra uh, Merritt is going to turn herself in. My guess is she's already done it by now in California to authorities there and make her first appearance in criminal court to answer the 15-count felony charges for her undercover work in exposing Planned Parenthood's unethical and potentially illegal profiteering. We'll talk with uh, him about uh, their representing Sandra Merritt and what's likely to uh, to happen. We're also going to talk in the 5 o'clock hour with former representative, state representative Jeff uh, Croft. He's a media spokesperson for a coalition of Oregon uh, organizations uh, that are seeking to expose what they call Oregon's Ponzi scheme being led by Governor Kate Brown. It didn't start with her, but he's, they allege that it's continuing under her leadership. We're going to talk about that little postcard that most of us received in the mail over the last week or so uh, with um, Bernie Madoff on one side and Governor Brown on the other. Uh, asking the question, which one is uh, is guilty of the worst Ponzi scheme? Well, if you wonder what that's all about, we'll talk about that when he joins us later in the 5 o'clock hour. Also, we want to give you some information on events all across the metro area for the National Day of Prayer. I apologize that I don't have uh, information this time around for Washington, but I do have for the state of Oregon. And again, I apologize for that. I ran out of time in uh, compiling that information. Uh, but if you know of an event in uh, Southwest Washington, Vancouver, Camas for the National Day of Prayer. Would you call and let us know? And we can uh, mention that later in the program as well. Uh, I would really appreciate it. Well, first, taking a look at some of the day's news, the House uh, in Washington on Wednesday approved a one point one trillion dollar spending bill with Democrats and Republicans both jockeying to claim at least partial victory as the measure goes to the Senate for final approval. Now, wouldn't you love it if they were jockeying for position to take uh, to make the statement? This is absolutely the best thing for the American people. I don't really care how it reflects on me and my political party, but that's, of course, not the way things happen in Washington. They were. Uh, jockeying to claim at least partial victory in the whole thing. Well, the package, which would avert a government shutdown at the end of the week, passed with bipartisan support, 309-118. House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi claimed victory for blocking several of the president's proposals, including funding for U.S.-Mexico, the wall, uh, cuts to popular domestic programs like community development grants, and of course, the funding of Planned Parenthood. House Speaker Paul Ryan, however, assures conservatives that the bill is a win for Trump and Republicans controlling Congress, 
citing a really good down payment on rebuilding the military and the biggest increase in border security in a decade. Notice he didn't mention funding of Planned Parenthood. Minutes before the vote on the five-month spending bill, White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer made similar arguments. When you look at what the president came forward with a month ago, saying these are my priorities, I think he got what he asked for, Spicer said during the daily briefing. He also said the money gets the president's priorities um, jump-started and argued that Trump can build on that success in the upcoming full-year budget. He also touted increased military spending and money to uh, extend to Washington, D.C. school voucher program through 2019 being included in the bill. The White House has said Trump would uh, sign the measure. Again, it passed in the House today, is making its way over to the Senate, where there's the expectation is they, too, will pass it. Meanwhile, the president is stirring the pot uh, with talk of blowing up Senate rules as a, a gridlocked Congress threatens to stall the legislative promises that catapulted him, uh, catapulted rather him into office. President Trump has raised hackles on the Hill, suggesting Long-standing Senate rules simply be scrapped to cripple Democratic opposition. Of course, what you what walls you tear down today may, in fact, expose your family to danger tomorrow. So what you think is getting the other guy now may end up being a danger to you in the future. So you really need to think long and hard before these ancient structures, if you will, are torn down. But uh, Trump was... Uh, has twice in the past week rallied against archaic Senate procedures, first in an interview with Fox News and then again on Twitter, uh, seeming to suggest the legislative filibuster be ended to take advantage of Republican control of Congress. Again, the long view always helps. It's not just what works today for me and my uh, agenda, but what works in the long run for the for the country is probably a better approach. He's not the first to abuse uh, that line of thinking. Uh, but he uh, is certainly the, the current and loudest voices. He went on to say, maybe at some point uh, we're going to have to take those rules on because for the good of the nation, things are going to have to be different. Well, things certainly need to be different. How you approach making that difference makes a difference. Uh, he said on the first 100 days on Friday, you can't go through the process like this. He said it's not fair. It forces you to make bad decisions. I mean, you're really forced into doing things uh, that you would normally not do except for these archaic rules. Now, I should point out that for the Republicans who were in uh, in the minority uh, in the past, those rules protected them from um, uh, seeing many of President Obama's initiatives moving forward. So again, you need to take both a look back at the historic value of some of these rules, look forward to what the future may look like and whose ox may end up being gored before making major changes. He's absolutely right. The system needs to be revisited in a number of ways, uh, but do it uh, in a thoughtful approach, it it seems to me. Meanwhile, Paul Ryan claims that Planned Parenthood, um, that cut will come later rather than sooner, as in this budget. When they move from budget to health care, Um, The Washington Examiner points out the story explains the House is expected to take up an Obamacare repeal bill that would need only 51 votes for passage, a smaller hurdle. The bill, which will use the procedural move called reconciliation, includes a measure defunding Planned Parenthood for one year, defunding Planned Parenthood for one year. Huh. The reconciliation bill advances the pro-life cause even further, Ryan says. Uh, David French, writing for National Review, says this. Let's be honest. A Republican president, a Republican House and a Republican Senate just made a deal that Hillary Clinton would have been happy to sign. The wall has to wait. Planned Parenthood gets its cash. The administrative state continues to grow. And writing for The Washington Examiner, Nicole Russell says, alas, when they had their chance, Congress failed to cut the bloated behemoth that is Planned Parenthood and didn't even slice a comma off the Affordable Care Act. This is, as they say, 
how we get to, how we got Trump. Uh, meanwhile, Rich Lowry, writing for National Review on the health care bill, says the moderates are abandoning the health care bill largely because it makes it possible for states to get a waiver from the pre-existing condition regulation in Obamacare. This is being distorted as an abolition of that regulation with the moderates either contributing to the misunderstanding or being carried along by it. We'll talk more about uh, that health care bill a bit later. Meanwhile, Melissa Quinn and the Daily Signal uh, points out there's something there are some things rather that we need to know about Obamacare subsidies at the center of this current health care debate. And we're going to talk about them when we come back from the break. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, anticipating a conversation with the Basketball Hall of Famer Pat Williams later this hour. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We are back 21 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. By the way, Clark said uh, 79. We've, we've reached 79. So we've got a, uh, that one little degree to make the uh, 80 degrees. But I'm not complaining. 79 is no uh, small thing after the winter that we've had and the wet, wet spring. So kudos to, well, to God, I guess, for giving us a little sunshine. Um, uh, oh, the Obamacare um, subsidies at the center of the health care debate, uh, Melissa Quinn writes about in the Daily Signal and what we need to know about uh, all of this. She points out that while Republicans and Democrats uh, both negotiated a government spending bill this week, another form of financial assistance that aims to help low income Americans under Obamacare has been at the center of the debate involving insurance companies, consumers and the president. Well, these subsidies aren't the tax credits that are implemented under the Health Care Act, which lower the cost of premiums for eligible consumers, but are called cost-sharing reductions. Now, they've been the subject of much scrutiny lately and a source of concern for insurance companies, congressional Democrats, doctors, hospitals, chamber of commerce, and so on. So what are the cost-sharing reductions? How do they work? And why have they been uh, thrust at the center of this debate? So a couple of questions to address. What are the cost-sharing reductions? Well, there are subsidies that are designed to reduce the out-of-pocket costs for low-income patients uh, who uh, purchase the, the silver-level plan of the Obamacare exchanges. Now, it comes in different levels. I don't have time to explain them all now. But the subsidies are only available to market uh, place customers with an income uh, between 100% and 250% of the federal poverty line. In 2017, that was 7 million people, 58% of the marketplace enrollees qualified for that cost sharing. So how does this um, reduction work uh, that, again, is at the heart of the debate over how to move forward with Obamacare? Well, while the tax credits in the program and the cost sharing reductions are both intended to help lower the cost of coverage for these uh, low income Americans, both serve different functions. The tax credits lower the cost of premiums. Insurance companies uh, then offer plans with reduced uh, deductions, co-payments, out-of-pocket costs, and so on. In 2016, the government reimbursed insurers roughly $7 billion for cost-sharing reductions. So why are they in the news now? Well, the cost-sharing reductions were the subject of much scrutiny back in 2014, and now they're back in the news again. Well, back in 2014, the Republican-led House, Rep- House of Representatives rather filed a lawsuit against the Department of Health and Human Services. It was led then by Sylvia Matthews Burwell over the subsidies. Lawmakers on on the Republican side, argued that the Obama administration made payments to insurers without an appropriation from Congress, which they said was unconstitutional. The administration at the time under Obama said it intended for lawmakers to fund
fund the cost-sharing reductions alongside Obamacare's tax credits. Well, fast forward to 2016. You got a federal district court judge in the District of Columbia who sided with House Republicans, and he ruled that the that because Congress never appropriated money for the cost-sharing reductions, the administration violated the Constitution. Well, President Obama's Department of Justice quickly appealed. The judge's order had been halted since then, and it has not been resolved. Well, now the Trump administration has to decide whether it's going to continue the Obama administration's fight, and the next court date is scheduled for May the 22nd. Today's the 3rd. You can do the math. So what does the Trump administration want to do? Well, at this stage, no one's entirely sure about that and a lot of other things, but we're talking about one thing in particular. We're not sure, uh, uh, and his officials, um, what they plan to do about this whole cost-sharing reduction uh, thing. Well, both the White House and the Department of Health and Human Services, now led by Secretary Tom Price, have sent mixed signals on whether they intend to continue funding the subsidies or not. In a statement to the New York Times last month, the Department of Health and Human Services said the agency would continue to make payments to insurance companies, but Trump floated the idea of using the cost-sharing reductions as leverage to bring Democrats to the negotiating table over a bill replacing Obamacare. Um, Trump said of the subsidies at that time, this was an interview with the Wall Street Journal last month, Obamacare is dead next month if it doesn't get that money. I haven't made my viewpoint clear yet. I don't want people to get hurt. What I think should happen and will is the Democrats will start calling me and negotiating. Well, I'll pause for a bit of a chuckle there. That didn't happen and it's not likely to happen. Even more recently, though, the White House budget director, Mick Mulcahy, Uh, Mulvaney told reporters, this was on Tuesday, the administration hadn't yet decided whether it's going to make cost-sharing reduction payments for May. So what options does the president have? Well, to drop the Obamacare lawsuit uh, and the Department of Health and Human Services could stop making payments to insurers. But if the White House decided to continue funding the subsidies, which is another option, it could move forward with a lawsuit that originated with the uh, previous administration. The president, current, could also urge Congress to appropriate the money in future appropriations bills. I'm not going to go into much more detail about that, but this is one of the major sticking points moving forward with this um, version of not a Obamacare repealed, uh, not exactly Obamacare light, but an admixture of several things that may or may not um, ultimately be supported by Republicans, let alone any Democrats. And we'll continue to follow the debate and the story uh, over the next uh, few weeks, days and weeks. Well, much is being written about what the Trump administration has accomplished in its first 100 days, that sort of arbitrary figure that really started back with the Roosevelt administration. But one achievement has been largely overlooked. And Hans von Spakovsky, writing for Fox News, points out that that one accomplishment that hasn't really uh, been uh, uh, highlighted is that... um, Uh, There's been an effort to restore us to being a nation based on the rule of law. That's just as important as uh, many of the other tasks that the administration has undertaken. And I would have to agree that this, from my perspective, is an an important accomplishment. And one of the president's most sacred duties under the Constitution uh, in Article 2, Section 3, is to take care that the laws be faithfully executed. Now, that may seem like a no-brainer, but we have seen increasingly over time administrations, executives in particular, uh, and and to a greater degree under the previous administration than any previous administration, to simply flout the law. 
Uh, That was not the duty that the Obama administration seemed to take seriously, particularly when it came to enforcing our federal immigration laws. Well, the Obama administration claimed it was using prosecutorial discretion to justify providing administrative amnesty, work permits, other government benefits to uh, people in the country illegally in direct conflict with applicable law, and the administration's obligation to detain, prosecute, and deport those who violated our federal immigration statutes and regulations. The previous administration also refused, under the guise of prosecutorial discretion, to enforce certain federal drug laws on marijuana and other laws it didn't like, such as the provision of the National Voter Registration Act that requires election officials to maintain accurate voter rolls. President Obama acted as if um, he had veto power over statutes that were already the law of the land. President Trump has begun the difficult task of reversing his uh, predecessor's uh, very expansive and likely unconstitutional actions in restoring the rule of law. Now, there is a way, if you don't like the laws that are on the books, for Congress to responsibly act to change those laws. But they have simply either elected to encourage uh, the use of uh, what the previous administration called prosecutorial discretion or allowing the executive to do what Congress either could not or would not do or to allow the courts to do it for them. Uh, because the political cost of going through the regular process and exercising their obligations as members of the House and the Senate would be too politically costly. Um, so at least one of the, the benefits of the current administration is to return us, as the article goes on to point out, to um, a nation of laws. Now, that may seem frustrating to those who disagree with laws that are on the book, but I guarantee you, if we uh, allow the executive, or for, or for that matter, any other branch of government to flout the laws, at some point, laws that protect you will also be uh, at risk, and um, it may end up being much more costly than any of us would like to imagine. Well, coming up, we're going to talk with Pat Williams. He is a basketball Hall of Famer. Now, I really wish at this point I was a real basketball fan, because this would be a huge deal for me, but... Uh, He is also a prolific writer. He and his wife have raised 19 children, 14 of which of whom I should say were adopted from three continents of the world. Uh, He uh, has written his latest book, The Success Intersection, What Happens When Your Talent Meets Your Passion. And we're going to talk uh, about that. He had uh, he'd wanted to be an NBA baller and he just did not have the talent. But he discovered that his his interest in sports, his desire to be associated with it in some way, and then discovering what his actual talents were led him into a very successful career. And he writes about um, how how that all happened. And if you don't have a talent in the area, for example, you watch American Idol. I'm not even sure that's still on. But you watch American Idol and you have all these young people who do not have the talent uh, say that they are, their desire is to become, uh, you know, a very popular uh, musician uh, and everyone watching knows you you don't that's not an area that you're particularly gifted in but Pat Williams who was also not a gifted basketball player learned that there were things he was g- gifted in that he could use in that area for example working in the music industry but not being the soloist with the mic anyway we'll talk with Pat Williams about that in just a few moments also in the five o'clock hour we'll talk with Roger um, Ganim he's a, uh, with uh, Liberty Council we'll talk about Sandra Merritt, uh, she turned herself into the California authorities. Uh, she's been charged with 15 uh, counts of felony charges for her undercover work exposing Planned Parenthood. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. 36 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, what happens when your talent meets your passion? Hmm. 
Well, from the age of seven, my next guest, Pat Williams, greatest passion was baseball. After two years in the minors, he had to admit that it wasn't his greatest talent. And his career as a professional baseball player was at a dead end. But a phenomenally successful career in sports was just beginning. And when he combined his passion for sports with his greatest talents, leadership, salesmanship, and promotion, he found a success intersection. When your greatest talent intersects intersects rather with your greatest passion, he says, you've discovered your sweet spot in life. It's the spot that will result in the greatest personal success and satisfaction and the greatest impact in the world. Well, in his book, The Success Intersection, he provides readers practical steps to identify their greatest talent, pursue their greatest passion, and multiply their effort through teamwork. He helps uh, readers discover how to maximize their natural gifts, focus their enthusiasm, and leverage their talent and passion into a lifetime of success. So if you're one of those American Idol people who aspires to a career in music but you can't sing, there's hope for you. Well, my next guest, Basketball Hall of Famer Pat Williams, is the founder and senior vice president of the NBA's Orlando Magic. He's also a popular motivational speaker, averaging over 150 appearances a year. Uh, He's spent over 45 years in professional uh, baseball and basketball as a player and executive. He served as general manager of the 1983 world champion Philadelphia 76ers and managed both the Chicago Bulls and Atlanta Hawks. He is the author of over 100 books. He and his wife, Ruth, are the parents of 19 children, including 14 adopted from four nations. I'm exhausted just just reading it all, but I want to welcome our guest, Pat Williams. Again, his book, The Success Intersection, What Happens When Your Talent Meets Your Passion. Welcome and thanks for joining us. Well, Georgine, it's good to hear your voice and thank you for that (laughs) glowing introduction. I'll try and live up to it now. <laughs> you got your work and, cut out uh, for you, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's hope I can uh, match it here, but uh, looking forward to chatting with you. Well, as I mentioned, you've written over 100 books. You uh, have raised 19 children. You uh, speak on average about 150 appearances a year, and now you're here talking with us about this book. Do you need a moment to just sit down and catch your breath? I, <laughs> I'm overwhelmed by all that you do. Well, I, Georgine, I guess I was born with... Uh, high energy. Uh, My parents were both energetic people, and I think I came out of the womb in a three-point stance, uh, (laughs) ready to to dive into life, uh, you know, fully. And at age seven, my dad took me to my first Major League Baseball game in Philadelphia, and I was smitten that day by the sights and the sound and the smell and the color of baseball. And I remember waking up the next morning as a seven-year-old, and I knew exactly what I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to be a ball player, just like those guys I'd seen the day before in Philadelphia. And so through school and then on into through college, uh, you know, I, I followed that goal. I was pursuing my dreams as hard as I could in that, in that area of baseball. And I got to play pro ball a couple of years in the Philly system. And then, as you said in the intro, I um, branched out. And I had some great opportunities to get into the front office end of sports, initially in baseball. And then that led to my career in the National Basketball Association, which now spans, gosh, almost 50 years. And so uh, uh, that, that's why I've written this book, uh, stressing to people that it's important to figure out at a, as young as you can what your talent is. What is your best skill? What is it that you do the best? What is it you do well, consistently? And then, uh, this is, and this is important, what is your passion? Uh, what excites you? What's your, where's your enthusiasm come from? And where that talent intersects with your passion, uh, that's your sweet spot. And that's where you want to live. That's where you want to get educated. That's where you want to get paid every two weeks. 
right there in that sweet spot. And the sooner you can get into your sweet spot, the better your life's going to be. Yeah, yeah. And you're right. The the sooner you uh, discover what those talents are, that can help you move in the right direction. Now, what are some of the steps to identifying your talent? That can be very challenging. It's difficult for us to identify our own talents. Well, that's where that's where parents come in, Georgine. That's where grandparents come in. That's where mentors come in. Uh, that's where teachers and coaches and youth workers come in, uh, who who work with children. And one of their one of their prime jobs is to be looking for certain talents, certain skills that young people have, and and tell them that and talk to them about it. And uh, and really stress that a lot of times uh, people don't aren't even aware. Mm-hmm. You know, they have a certain skill, but uh, but we we can spot it far better than people can themselves. So when we say to a youngster, "Boy, I see leadership potential in you, pal. Boy, I'm watching you on the field, and these kids are all following you, and you look very comfortable as a leader. And I I see a great future for you as a leader." Listen, those words are are important. They're meaningful. Uh, they can help direct a young life. Uh, you know, in, in in a whole career, or a, or an English teacher who says to Mary, I love the way you write, Mary. I love to read your papers, and you've got a wonderful gift with words, and uh, you're going to be a writer someday. I can see it happening. Well, those words are never forgotten, and I I think a lot of uh, young people uh, are really, really set on their path. Uh, with the words and the encouragement from adults who see something in those youngsters that uh, the kids don't see themselves. Mm. Now, I guess the reverse of that question is, how do you determine if you really don't have a talent um, in a particular area? I mentioned earlier before you joined us, American Idol, where you have a lot of uh, young people on television saying, you know, I want to be a singer, and yet it's clear that they don't have the, the aptitude or the talent to sing. How do you determine if you really don't have the talent to follow a passion? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, and I would say uh, if you don't have a great talent as a golfer, you're not going to be on the PGA Tour. I'll play on the weekends and enjoy it. Uh, but you still have to make a living and, you, you know, be a lawyer or a, a real estate developer, but to play golf as a sideline and forget the PGA Tour <laughs> or sing in your church choir and, uh, and, and don't worry about Broadway, you know, and, uh, you, you, and you need people around you who are very honest and frank with yeah. you who say you're good, but not good enough. So, uh, so enjoy coaching you know, a, a YMCA team on the weekend, and uh, because you're never going to coach in the NBA, <laughs> you know, I I think somebody <clears throat> needs to really speak truth uh, to people along the way, so they don't frustrate themselves uh, uh, doing things that just aren't practical. Yeah, yeah. And 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 and, and Georgine, I must be on the phone. I don't know, twice a week. Uh, with somebody calling who wants to work in the NBA, who wants to be an NBA coach, who wants to be a, a pro scout. I mean, I end up twice a week with somebody from around the country. And sometimes I just have to tell them, uh, frankly, you know, if it's not practical, if it's not doable, uh, they ne- they need to hear truth so they're not running around for 20 years, you know, trying to pursue something that isn't really practical. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and and they say, well, I love basketball. And I say to them, well, coach, coach a team, coach a team of eight-year-olds at the Y or, or help put together an AAU squad in the summertime. You know, there are other ways to get your basketball kicks uh, w- without frustrating yourself, you know, trying to do something that probably isn't going to happen meaning becoming an NBA scout or an NBA coach or a, 
a GM or, you know, front office mogul, you know, the odds are it's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. We're going to continue our conversation, but I do need to take a quick break. Again, we're talking with Basketball Hall of Famer Pat Williams, his latest book. He's written 100, The Success Intersection, What Happens When Your Talent Meets Your Passion. And I'm telling you, finding that sweet spot can get you places you might not have imagined you could go. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back 51 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, talking with Basketball Hall of Famer Pat Williams. He's the founder and senior vice president of the NBA's uh, Orlando Magic. He's also a popular motivational speaker. He has spent over 45 years in professional baseball, basketball as a player and executive, and he serves as uh, served rather as general manager of the 1983 world champion Philadelphia 76ers. He managed both the Chicago Bulls and Atlanta Hawks and is the author of over 100 books. He and his wife uh, are parents of 19 children, including 14 adopted from four nations. Pretty impressive. We're talking about his book titled The Success Intersection, What Happens When Your Talent Meets Your Passion. How do you identify your passion, and why is that important? We talked a bit about uh, talent, but what about passion? Well, that's, Georgine, that's what gets you up in the morning. Uh, that, that's uh, where you've got enormous enthusiasm, uh, great excitement uh, every day. Uh, and and uh, the Z words come in here, zeal, zest, zing. How about those three Z words? <laughs> I like it. And, 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 and if you don't have that, uh, Georgine, I don't care how much talent you've got. If you don't have that passion, that drive, that uh, grit, uh, willing to grind it out every day with, with great energy, uh, you're not going to make it. You're just not going to make it. I, I would rather have a little on a ball club. I'd rather have a little lesser talent, uh, and an enormous passion and excitement, energy than than great talent and uh, lethargy. Uh, yeah, I don't feel like playing today. I just don't have the energy today. I don't. You're not going to have a good ball club if that. You've got some guys with that attitude. So, uh, long story short, uh, talent is great. You need it, but uh, along with it uh, comes passion and energy. And I think that really comes. I don't think it's complicated, Georgine. I think if you love what you do, if you just love what you're doing, uh, the, the energy and the passion will flow. If you don't love what you do, then it's a drag every day. You're just dragging yourself to your place of work. So uh, if, if you love it and really just enjoy thoroughly what you're doing, uh, you're going to be passionate about it. I guarantee you. That's just an axiom. It's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. You can let's, book it. You can book it. Let's talk about Chris Martin. He was a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, he became successful, but he didn't like football. Talk a little bit about yes. about that. Yeah, I, I do. I do tell that story. <laughs> he didn't like football. How about that? And he had great talent, but somewhere along the line, something clicked with him, and uh, you know, he he went on about his career, became a Hall of Famer, and. You know, one of the one of the great football NFL players of all time, mm-hmm. but some, something happened somewhere along the line that, that switched him around, and uh, he became. Uh, you know, he found the energy that he needed and the enthusiasm that he needed. Uh, now, the question really arises, Georgine: Are you born with great passion? Uh, do you come into this world with a great enthusiasm? I I think probably uh, you've got to be exposed to a lot of different activities. Let me get back to parenting again. Uh, great parents expose their children to all sorts of activities, sports, history, art, pottery, 
computers, singing, uh, theater, uh, debate, etc. Mm-hmm. And 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 they expose them to that. And and the children will tell you uh, what what button has really been pushed by how they react. Uh, they may be totally bored and show no interest in golf or anything athletically, but, boy, do they get excited when they go to art class, and they get even more excited when they go to ceramics. Uh, you've got to be really alert, and it takes a lot of parenting effort uh, to get kids out and doing and exposed to stuff that uh, they're never going to get sitting at home playing video games. Yeah, really. <laughs> so so I, uh, there's a great burden on parents uh, and grandparents, uh, and they've got to have one great skill, uh, Georgine, and, and that skill is driving a car. Uh, they got to be able to drive a car back and forth <laughs> to gymnastics and cheerleading. And, and little league baseball and uh, an art class and and uh, you you've got to be able to put lots of miles on that automobile getting your kids there <laughs> and if you don't get them there you know they can't develop they're just going to sit at home now you so like- uh, parenting is a huge part of, of developing talent and helping a young person come come really through life with great passion you draw a parallel between identifying your passion and the legacy that you want to uh, to leave, um, help us understand the connection between the two. Well, as I get older, and I'm I'm celebrating my 77th birthday today. Uh, oh, happy birthday! Uh, thank you. I hit 77 today, and I'm I'm spending a lot more time thinking about my legacy. Uh, how will I be remembered? Uh, how will my uh, children and grandchildren remember me? Uh, you know, years from now, when my name comes up, uh, what will they say about their old dad? Or their, their uh, they call me Poppers. Uh, what, what will they remember about Poppers? So I, I think it's important while we have our health and while we're here to be thinking about that legacy and, and spending time with our youngsters, uh, teaching them, guiding them, mentoring them. Uh, we've got a real important assignment, you know, us older folks, in doing that. And, it, and in the process, uh, we're, we are leaving a legacy. And I, uh, uh, a legacy is important. Uh, we want to be uh, well-remembered when we're, when we're no longer on this earth, Georgine. We want, we want good memories uh, to be running around in the minds of our children. Uh, down the road, you know, long after our time on earth, we want our, uh, we want our descendants, you know, who, we, who, who we'll never meet. Uh, we want them to look back and as they learn more about us saying, boy, I'm, I'm glad I had him or her, you know, as one, as an ancestor. Uh, so legacy is important, and I think uh, we need to really focus hard on it, uh, particularly as we, we get older. Absolutely. Well, the book is titled The Success Intersection, What Happens When Your Talent Meets Your Passion. It's a great resource for parents, grandparents, and for those who are seeking direction uh, as well. Pat Williams, it's been a real pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for joining us. Georgine, I always love to visit with you. And boy, let me tell you this. When we took that break, I was impressed with the number of, of, of commercials in that break. <laughs> so, 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 honey, you are well-sponsored, well-sponsored. <laughs> well, thank so, you very uh, much. <laughs> so I, just, uh, this little guy in Orlando was very impressed. So keep, <laughs> well, keep, keep up the good work. Thank you so much, and happy birthday. <laughs> thank you, babe. Nice to talk Bye-bye. to you. Bye-bye.
Uh, by the way, the book goes into uh, what the, some strategy for focusing your talent on the most important life goals, uh, your strategy for focusing your passion, explaining the effect of dream stompers and confidence killers, and where confidence comes from. A lot more in the book. Again, The Success Intersection, What Happens When Your Talent Meets Your Passion. The book is published by Ravel. Pat Williams, the author. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. Five minutes after five o'clock is our time. Clark Hilton is engineering. James Blend is producing today's program. Well, today, Sandra Merritt turned herself into the California authorities. And she made her first appearance in criminal court. She answered the 15-count felony charges that were brought against her by the state of California for her undercover work in exposing Planned Parenthood's unethical and potentially illegal profiteering from the sale of aborted baby body parts. Rather than investigating and prosecuting Planned Parenthood, which donated thousands of dollars to his political campaigns, California Attorney General Xavier Becara filed uh, charges against Merritt, claiming that her undercover video recordings violated California law. To date, no other citizen journalist or journalism organization has ever been charged with a crime for undercover recording. Here to talk with us about that is Roger Gannam. He's Assistant Vice President of Legal Affairs at Liberty Council, and they are representing uh, Sandra Merritt in this case. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me, Georgine. Now, I assume that she has already turned herself into California authorities, given that she's on the uh, the West Coast and we're five o'clock here now. Can you tell us uh, what happened earlier today? Uh, yes. Uh, to add insult to injury, uh, the 64-year-old grandmother who's had the same address for 41 years had her bail set at $75,000 today. Uh, as if she's uh, some kind of flight risk. Um, she's just being treated uh, terribly by uh, the Attorney General in California and now the court there as well. Um, we know this is a, a long uh, process, and uh, we at Liberty Council are in this for the long haul. Uh, right now we're just trying to get Sandra uh, out of jail so that she can uh, enjoy her, her freedom while uh, this case is pending. So she is literally behind bars as we speak. That is correct. That's just, that's amazing to me. It's not surprising, I suppose. Now, what about the uh, the California Attorney General, Xavier Bacara, um, who has been uh, funded by Planned Parenthood? Shouldn't he recuse himself uh, as uh, there is a clear conflict of interest? So shouldn't someone else be overseeing this, or am I misunderstanding? You know, it, I would be surprised by this if we hadn't already seen it over and over again. We see Planned Parenthood involved with the Attorney General in Texas, where Criminal charges were brought against Sandra. We see the Attorney General, the, the uh, predecessor to Mr. Becerra, uh, Kamala Harris, was also uh, thick as thieves with uh, Planned Parenthood. And now he himself is. Um, yeah, people should be outraged that a clearly political prosecution uh, is being allowed and that the California Attorney General is not being held to account for his own uh, for his receipt of campaign contributions from Planned Parenthood, who really seems to be the driving force behind this prosecution. Let me I ask the obvious question, and that is whether or not the undercover video that she and a, and a, a, a friend um, took of Planned Parenthood, whether or not that violated California law. I mentioned that to date no other citizen journalist or journalism organization has been charged with a crime uh, for these kinds of recordings. But is it in violation of California law? We certainly don't think so. Uh, and part of the 
the evidence of that is the fact that no one ever has been prosecuted. No one like Sandra Merritt has been prosecuted under this statute uh, as if she's uh, trying to uh, record people to defraud them or, or to commit some illicit act. She's trying to expose potential criminal activity, uh, and she was doing it in public places, restaurants and things like that. Uh, so we don't think California law has been violated, and uh, we, we ultimately uh, expect to defeat these charges uh, when Sandra gets her day in court, perhaps even sooner. Uh, like I said, the charges in Texas were dismissed after the uh, indictment was brought against her. Um, I think they realized that, uh, that they weren't going to succeed and that there were problems with the indictment there. Uh, we hope uh, that the same thing will happen here in California. Uh, but we certainly don't think she's broken the law. She absolutely doesn't belong in jail. Mm-hmm. Uh, even now, um, she is not a risk to, to flee. Uh, she's certainly willing to stand up and, uh, and account for what she's done, which is a very good thing. Uh, I mean, she's trying to help uh, the innocent lives that are being taken by Planned Parenthood every day. Uh, it should be them on trial and not her. Oh, absolutely. It really is breathtaking when you, you look at how this whole thing has unfolded. Now, as I mentioned, there are 15 uh, felony counts, um, uh, one for each of the 14 people who were filmed without uh, their permission between October of 2013 and July of 2015. And then there's one other count. Uh, what is that other count for and how serious are these charges? Well, these are felony charges. Uh, they're, they're very serious. Uh, the 15th charge is kind of a catch-all for the conspiracy to commit the other 14 charges that they've brought against her. Um, and it's really ridiculous if you think about the brazenness and the flippancy of these Planned Parenthood employees and, and affiliates and how they talk about what they do with these babies. Um, they didn't think that they were in a private setting. They had no problem talking about what they were doing. And, and that's what's really the crime here is that a, a person trying to save lives and trying to expose a crime uh, is now having the book thrown at her, literally, uh, and faces uh, decades in prison if, if she were to be convicted on these charges. But again, it doesn't it doesn't seem, as was the case in, in Houston, that these charges will ultimately stick. Well, we certainly hope for that. Um, you know, we if, if if today is any indication, we certainly don't have uh, the court on our side. Uh, but uh, it's always our expectation that truth and, and the law will prevail in the end. And we're in this for the long haul. That means appeals all the way to the Supreme Court if necessary. Well, this certainly seems to have the potential to uh, have a chilling effect on uh, future efforts to expose uh, the misuse of public and private funds to the violation of the law and so on for those who are willing to go undercover to make the, the public aware of this kind of um, of unlawful uh, activity, or at least unscrupulous activity. That, that's absolutely right. If there's any silver lining to all this, it's that these tapes were effective. Uh, Planned Parenthood is on its heels right now because they've been exposed. Uh, they know that they have to stop this kind of undercover journalism. They have to stop the kind of advocacy that Sandra Merritt was participating in if they want to survive. And so uh, this is all about chilling the free speech uh, and chilling the right to press uh, chilling our, the First Amendment rights of anyone who dares to stand up to Planned Parenthood. Uh, and that's why uh, uh, the defense of Sandra Merritt in this case is so important, uh, that we uh, stand up to that and, and not let Planned Parenthood and this attorney general get away with it. Well, I think you're absolutely right to emphasize that this is focused on Planned Parenthood. If this had been another subject, uh, they they very likely would not have faced this kind of uh, criminal prosecution. Uh, now, what what happens next? Uh, is there a court date? What what can we expect to, hap- uh, to happen? And how can those of us who are concerned and interested follow the story and help Liberty Council in your effort to represent her? 
Well, thanks for asking. Uh, of course, the first thing we want to do is get her out of jail today, uh, if at all possible. Uh, second, we will uh, have opportunities to present various motions to the court to try to have these charges thrown out. Uh, that will happen in the coming uh, weeks and months. Uh, and then for the long term, uh, you know, if we have to take this case to trial, like I said, we will. We're in it for the long haul. Uh, Liberty Council has already defended Sandra in Texas. We're already defending her against Planned Parenthood's civil lawsuits that they brought against her, and now this criminal case in California. Uh, so we ask that people would please pray for Sandra, pray for our efforts and our success in the courts. Uh, and if anyone's inclined to uh, to donate to, to Liberty Council to help fund this defense that will uh, likely you know, be going on for, for the next few years. Uh, they can go to lc.org, our website, if they're so inclined. But um, Sandra needs our prayers. She needs to, to, to hear this from the people that they're supporting her. Um, she is, has been unwavering in her commitment to do the right thing. Uh, and even today, as they led her away in cuffs, she had a smile on her face and, and the full confidence of knowing that she's doing the right thing. Uh, it will encourage her and, and certainly uh, lift her spirits to know that people are, are thinking about her and praying for her. And, and like I said, Liberty Council uh, appreciates any uh, financial support anyone may be inclined to give to help us in our defense. Well, I appreciate your bringing the, uh, the situation to our attention, and we'll certainly continue to follow it here. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. And please let her know that I will be praying, and I know many others here will as well. Thank you very much. Thank you. Good to talk to you, Georgie. You too. Again, uh, Roger Gannam is Assistant Vice President of Legal Affairs at Liberty Council, which is an international nonprofit. They uh, are involved in litigation, education, and policy. Uh, they're dedicated to advancing religious freedom, the sanctity of life, uh, and the family. They've been around since 1989. They provide pro bono assistance and representation on uh, these and related topics. And uh, in other words, they do not charge uh, those who they represent, and they rely on the generosity of others who support their charter. And uh, so I wanted to bring that to your attention. Again, uh, Susan Merritt um, turned herself into the California authorities earlier today and has actually been jailed. Um, her uh, co-worker, David Delayden, has also been charged with 15 counts. I don't know if Liberty Council is representing him, but he, too, was exonerated in uh, Houston, Texas in 2016. And my expectation is at some point he, too, uh, will turn himself in and the same uh, process will take place. Remember them both in prayer. Fifteen minutes after five o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we're going to talk with uh, former state representative Jeff Croft. He's the media spokesperson for a coalition of Oregon organizations that are working for a more cost-effective government, better schools, and much more. And they're the ones responsible for that um, uh, three-by-five car that you may have received in the mail on the Oregon Ponzi scheme being led by Governor Kate Brown, also known as PERS. Up next. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show about 20 minutes after 5 o'clock. Now, many of you received from the Taxpayer Association of Oregon a postcard. And on the front of the postcard was an image of Bernie Sanders and Governor Kate Brown. Who built the bigger Ponzi scheme is the question asked. And you're invited to go to a website to answer that question. Now, my guess is some of you did, some of you didn't. But I thought it was an important enough that we talk about it today because that Ponzi scheme is a reference to the PERS program that has the potential to bankrupt the state. Well, joining us is the Honorable Jeff Croft, 
who is a former state representative who served for eight years. He was one of the rare lawmakers who refused to be in the taxpayer-funded PERS program, and he refused to accept PERS benefits, even though all lawmakers were entitled to it. He believed PERS was a serious conflict of interest, and it was setting taxpayers up into a costly Ponzi scheme, uh, which turned out to be true. Now, he represents several organizations, Oregon Capital Watch, Taxpayer Association of Oregon, Taxpayer Defense Project, Freedom Foundation, Oregon Citizens Lobby, Oregon Tax Foundation, Oregon uh, Liberty Coalition, and I can turn the page here, Oregon Transparency Project, who are trying to save Oregonians from themselves. Thank you so much for joining us today. Jartine, always great to be with you. And one um, a gentle correction on your part. You Please. said Bernie Sanders. Oh, it's actually Bernie Madoff. <laughs> Bernie Madoff. <laughs> you know, I was looking at it, and somehow my mouth said something else. Thank you. Well, I appreciate you know, Bernie, it. <laughs> Bernie Sanders has certainly been in the news, uh, continues to be. Uh, you know, look, uh, thanks for the opportunity to just share with you a little bit about what our coalition uh, is doing. And we call ourselves... The self-serving politicians are driving us into bankruptcy coalition. I know that's a long name <laughs> because it really describes the issue here. Uh, you know, I, I chose not to be in PERS as a legislator, along with a few others, not many, but a few over the years, because it's a direct conflict of interest. And PERS is, in fact, on the way to bankrupting not just the state of Oregon, but local governments, your school districts and your your fire districts and your police departments in your cities. And, and our coalition, Georgine, has done a lot of research, and our mission is to educate the average citizen mm-hmm. as to how this has happened, what it's going to mean to them in the future, and then, frankly, who ought to be held accountable for it. And it's those self-serving politicians who refuse to fix it that are the reason why your children are going to be in massive classes where they, there's way too many kids that can't learn anything, or you call 911 and nobody shows up, no police or fire. Why? Because they've had to lay a bunch of them off to pay the PERS pension uh, requirements. So our mission is to educate people, and, and that's why we decided that we would call this a Ponzi scheme. And by the way, that's, those aren't our words. Georgine, those are the words of Katie Durant, appointed by a Democrat governor, spent 12 years managing the money in the Oregon Investment Council of the PERS Investment Funds. She called it mm-hmm. a Ponzi scheme. And so we decided, you know what? Well, let's compare the striking similarities between what Bernie Madoff did, for which he's going to spend the rest of his life in prison, let's compare what he did to what Kate Brown and a lot of other politicians have done in enabling PERS. And if you go to OregonPonziScheme.com, and that's our website, you can see this incredible uh, comparison, and it, it is stark because it's virtually the same thing. And here's the sad part, Georgine. Bernie Madoff, like all Ponzi schemes, they fail. Bernie Madoff, private citizen, he's going to spend the rest of his life in prison. But the Ponzi scheme that is legal in Oregon, known as the Public Employees Retirement System, well, unfortunately, probably nobody's going to jail, even though it's going to bankrupt and hurt the citizens of Oregon. That's the ironic thing. The government gets away with what is illegal in the private sector. And it's wrong. We need to do something about it. And that's why we're trying to educate folks. Absolutely. Since politicians in Salem are not willing to 
uh, to take this on. The public is going to have to raise a hue and cry that will force their hand, uh, which is, uh, it seems to me, is going to be required, forcing the hand. Now, a lot of people think, oh, the, the reforms of 2003, that fixed the problem. They might think that the pension, is, um, as long as it's funded by 80 percent, that's going to uh, maintain it. The stock market will bail us out, or we can refinance the, the pension debt. That the solution is just around the corner if it's just managed better. But what do you suggest needs to happen in order to save us from... Uh, the program that threatens to swallow up everything else we value here in Oregon? That's a great question. Let me just say for the record and for your audience, our our group is not suggesting any one thing to fix the problem. There's a number of very good ideas that are on the table that are likely constitutional and legal uh, that are ideas that are actually in front of the legislature right now. And so far, is they're not holding any serious hearings on any of them. And frankly, Kate Brown is the politician who could could force the legislature, the, the legislative leadership, to address the issue and to fix it. So there's a number of things that, that have to be done. And, and frankly, uh, the legislature and the governor are the only way it's going to happen. You know, we... We, the people, could do this by a constitutional initiative. That's very expensive, as you know, yeah. to get constitutional initiatives on the ballot. Uh, it's very time-consuming, not likely going to happen. The legislature could put something on the ballot to address it. Again, that's not likely going to happen. So at some point when the pain that affects the average Oregonian, whether it's in schools or, or police and fire or city government, when the pain gets so bad, that then the politicians who are in the system today, who benefit directly from it, are going to stand up and realize that they better fix it or try to fix it uh, before it's too late, before it actually bankrupts us. And 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 I don't know when that will be, Georgine. And and that's why we're trying to to get people aware. You know, there's an old saying in politics, right, that the politicians will see the light when they feel the heat. We want the average person to understand what this PERS crisis means to them so they can turn up the heat on the politicians and the chief politician, Kate Brown, whom I might add, it seems, is uh, is going to be up for re-election here in a couple of years, actually a year and a half. Yeah, yeah. What will the um, what concern do you have about the courts and what they will allow the state to do? Because there have been efforts that were reversed by the courts. So. Uh, yeah, part of the 2003 reforms, which I was a part of when I was in the legislature in 2003, uh, signed into law by a Democrat governor, um, part of those reforms were thrown out by the Oregon Supreme Court. Your listeners need to know that the Oregon Supreme Court also has the same direct conflict of interest because they are in the public employee's retirement system. I believe that one of the things that must happen, and I'm speaking just for myself now as a private citizen, I believe that it must be outlawed by the people, because the politicians will never do it. The people have to say that judges and politicians cannot be in the public employee's retirement system. If they want to have a 401k, Georgina, like you have and like I have and most folks listening to us have, fine, okay? But they cannot be in a system where they are judging or writing laws that directly benefit them. And if you go to OregonPonziScheme.com, again, that's our website, all one word, OregonPonziScheme.com, 
You can learn more about the issue. You can see who's in our coalition, which you talked about. But you can also see who are the politicians that are in PERS. Literally, there's a page you can go to that will allow you to look up the politicians. And frankly, it looks at some of the outrageous amounts of money that some of these politicians and other people uh, are getting. They're many times more than the salary of the average Oregonian. And and, and that's what's wrong with the system. And, and Georgina, i got to tell you, we have a lot more research and a lot more ads that are coming on this issue very, very soon. So stay tuned. Well, absolutely. We will look forward to that. Thank you so much for calling uh, Oregonians' attention to this growing problem, and we'll certainly keep in touch and uh, keep our eyes and ears open. Georgine, thank you for the time and look forward to chatting with you as we release the next ad in the next few days. Thank you so much. Again, that website is OregonPonziScheme.com, where you can learn more about this growing crisis. 30 minutes after 5 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Zero Risks. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 36 minutes after 5 o'clock, that is the time on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon. And I mean, it's so nice outside. I'm not even going to mention that today happens to be garbage day at the Rice's. And then it's going to take us uh, all evening to just gather up the stuff and roll it out to the curb because it's so beautiful out. It's actually going to be pleasant. So I'm not going to bring up the complaint that it does require so much time. Um, Later in the program, uh, in fact, our next segment, I want to share with you some events that are taking place here in Oregon uh, for National Day of Prayer. Uh, So if you are uh, interested in attending a morning, midday, evening event, there are different uh, versions of events in different locations. We'll provide that information in just a few moments. So um, keep your ears poised for that. Also, uh, yesterday I brought up a story in our final segment about uh, a letter that was found in the purse uh, a woman purchased at Walmart. Yeah, Walmart, I think that was right. Um, it didn't really matter where she purchased it. There's also been, there have also been letters found in purchases from Saks Fifth Avenue and other places uh, as well. And I mentioned that in the letter, the person who wrote it was in prison in a particular province, and they mentioned that they are paid 280 yuan um, a, a month. And a listener kindly uh, sent me an email uh, this morning that pointed out that 2,000, um, let's see, 2,000 yuan, I think is what it was, equals $280. I believe that's right. Anyway, wanted to provide that bit of information. Well, the two biggest names in Democratic politics, yes, that would be Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, incrementally are making their return to the public after an apparent waiting period as President Trump settled into the Oval Office job, the former held and the latter sought. Declaring, I'm home, Obama on Wednesday returned to Chicago to update the public on his future presidential center. Not just library, but center. He says it's going to be more like a campus than a library. The project, as envisioned, will feature the usual trappings, a library, a museum, but Obama described it as something more ambitious, more like a campus. Well, the president said the goal is to is a premier institution for training young people in leadership. Now, this could differentiate the center from others that stand um, more as monuments to the presidents for which they are named and points to, uh, pre- to President Obama's taking an active role in preparing others to, as he put it, take up the torch. Clinton, too, is plotting to return. Um, uh, if not politics, to advocacy. She says she's going to be part of the resistance 
Uh, it's been reported that, according to an unnamed source, she plans to soon launch a political action committee. This was described as a way of acting as a quiet catalyst for favored organizations rather than part of any uh, last try run for office. She did declare uh, today that she does not intend to seek uh, election to any other office. There was some um, murmuring about the possibility of her running for office in New York, but she has put that to rest. The former Democratic presidential nominee also threw a log uh, Tuesday on the smoldering embers of her 2016 uh, defeat by pointing the finger at FBI Director James Comey and Russian WikiLeaks for the biggest upset, upset rather in modern presidential politics. She said she takes responsibility, but with a proviso. Her comments at the New York Forum helped to stoke the narrative that outside forces denied her victory in November and drew the a retort from uh, from Trump, who tweeted, as he often does, that Comey was the best thing that ever happened to Hillary Clinton in that he gave her a free pass for many bad deeds, end quote. Well, as Comey defended her, his actions in the Senate uh, testimony today, Trump called the Russia claims an excuse and posited it in third person. Perhaps Trump just ran a great campaign. But Clinton's return to the public eye goes beyond occasional symposium talks and uh, Chappaqua hikes. And that's, of course, where she lives in New York. She also reported plans to return to the paid speaking circuit, which Obama already joined. The Harry Walker Agency Speakers Bureau currently has a page up where interested parties can inquire about availability and fees for Clinton. According to Axios, uh, Clinton does not plan to um, go point for point challenging Trump on a daily basis. But during the Tuesday forum where she reminisced about 2016 race, she said she'll be an activist citizen and part of the resistance and is writing a book. Uh, Obama, meanwhile, is uh, going the route of Clinton's former president husband, having opened a foundation and now working on his presidential center and library. The Obama presidential center will be situated on Chicago's south side, the storied neighborhood that featured prominently in Obama's political rise. There, the Obama foundation and the ex-president on Wednesday offered a glimpse at the new renderings of the center, expected to cost hundreds of millions of dollars, which isn't uncommon, and feature a community garden, lagoon, and uh, forum in addition to other focal points, Obama said he and former First Lady Michelle also are donating $2 million to a summer jobs program in that community. To date, the former president mostly has stayed out of the fierce political debate in Washington, but has occasionally chimed in, whether on Twitter or via a spokesperson. Most recently, he praised a late-night host, Jimmy Kimmel, for his emotional monologue about his newborn baby's heart condition and the importance of covering pre-existing conditions. He also tweeted in reference to his uh, health care law, well, said Jimmy, uh, that's exactly why we fought so hard for the ACA and why we need to protect it for kids like Billy. And congratulations. Of course, Billy will not be impacted by the ACA, but others might. Well, Hillary Clinton said Tuesday that she would uh, have won the presidential election, but for the nagging problem with her secret emails and those of her campaign chief. And she declared herself part of the resistance opposing Donald Trump. But it took a lot of numbers crunching, but Democratic Party poobahs, if you will, say that they know how and why Hillary Clinton lost. Many of the base voters she counted on in blue states didn't show up and switched to Donald Trump instead. It took them nearly six months to figure out the blindingly obvious, but it still doesn't um, get at the truth. The findings of a poll and focus group conducted by Priorities USA for the Democratic Party advisory firm Global Strategy Group were devastating, not just for Hillary Clinton, but for Democrats as a whole. It found that many former supporters of President Obama 
flipped and voted for Donald Trump instead of Hillary Clinton. For Democrats, it should be disquieting that the findings completely contradict their own carefully managed self-image of as champions of the underdog. Some 50 percent of those who voted for Obama and then defeat, defected rather to Trump said their incomes are lagging behind the cost of living, while another 31 percent said that they were just treading water. The Washington Post's The Plum Line blog noted. Most devastating of all, 42 percent of those um, former Obama voters who moved over to vote GOP said congressional Democratic economic policies favor the rich. That compares with 21 percent who said the same thing about Trump. In short, to many Americans now living through economic tough times, the Democrats have become the party of the rich and the connected. Some 77 percent in the same poll said that Trump's policies would help all classes of Americans versus just 58 percent for congressional Democrats. And again, I'm quoting from the Priorities USA um, uh, survey and poll that was conducted for the Democratic Party advisory firm, Global Strategy Group. They commissioned it. They handpicked the group. So this is not a right wing uh, result uh, trying to to prove a point. Even so, that leaves um, leaves out one key point that appeared nowhere in the Democratic Party analysis that uh, was given. That is the Democratic Party had veered sharply leftward in recent years. They easily capture the bright blue population centers on both coasts but increasingly have trouble capturing the middle, both geographically and metaphorically. As a mid-2015 Gallup poll noted, 47% of Democrats identified as social liberal and economic moderate liberal. That compares with just 39% identifying that way in 2008 and just 30% in 2001. Centrists in the party have been marginalized. As 2016 Democratic presidential candidate James Webb himself, a centrist, complained in early February, the party has shifted very far to the left in recent years due to its focus on identity politics. This, he said, has diminished a key part of their base. Even Chris Matthews, the liberal MSNBC host and former aide to liberal icon Tip O'Neill, admitted last weekend on NBC's Meet the Press that the party had shifted too far left in recent years. A lot of it's cultural, not just economics, he said. Um, uh, In a separate editorial, uh, the Democrats seem to have developed a tolerance problem, as in Democrats can't tolerate any disagreement whatsoever. This has led to major losses for the Democrats in recent years. During President Obama's two terms, Democrats... Democrats, rather, lost nine U.S. Senate seats, 62 House seats, 12 governorships, and a shocking 958 uh, state legislative seats. Far from the base leaving the party, the Priorities USA poll suggests the party is leaving the base. Now, that can be seen in those uh, the party pushes forward as its leaders and stars, including socialist Bernie Sanders, far left former professor Elizabeth Warren and Democratic National Committee chairman Thomas Perez, another far lefty who has all but declared war on the Democratic Party's centrists and conservative wing. Here's where Hillary Clinton comes in. Thirty percent of those queried in the poll said that they voted against Clinton rather than voted for Trump. What she was selling, even some Democrats didn't want to buy. So it was a uh, protest vote, if you will. They didn't necessarily um, support Trump, but they opposed Hillary. So maybe they were being kind or perhaps they just fear Hillary. But the party's insiders now saying Hillary's base didn't show up sounds like a cop out. The Democratic Party has big problems. But as the saying goes, the fish rots from the head down rather than run as a centrist alternative to Bernie Sanders. Hillary Clinton, uh, her Me Too leftism left many centrist Democrats cold. So it's an interesting analysis, again, that was conducted for the Democratic Party by Priorities USA, revealing um, what they discovered was the reason for Hillary Clinton's loss. 46 minutes after 5 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back to wrap things up.
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 52 minutes after 5 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Tomorrow on the program, we're going to talk with Robert O'Neill. He's the author of The Operator, Firing the Shot That Killed Bin Laden. It was uh, The six-year anniversary was Tuesday, by the way. Uh, the title goes on in my years as a SEAL Team Warrior. The book is published by Scribner. We're also going to observe the National Day of Prayer as well. And I wanted to share with you some of the locations in Oregon, at least, uh, where events are taking place. If you uh, live, uh, of course, the first Thursday in May is always the National Day of Prayer. That means tomorrow, May the 4th, is uh, the National Day of Prayer for 2017. And there are events happening all over the state of Oregon. You can also go to the Oregon Faith Report uh, dot com, and there's a list there if you don't get the details as I run through them rather quickly. Now, again, OregonFaithReport.com. In Albany, uh, at noon for one hour, they're going to gather at the Lynn County Courthouse Steps. You'll have an opportunity to pray for our nation, as we have been called upon to do by all of the presidents, including this one. In Damascus, at 7 o'clock p.m. for one hour at Christ the Vine Lutheran Church, there's an opportunity to sing hymns together, to pray, and the Boy Scout Color Guard is also going to be on the program. But it's an opportunity to come together corporately for prayer. In Hillsboro, from 12.30 to one. Uh, 30 at the Hillsborough Civic Center Fountain Plaza. There's an opportunity to gather again 1230 to 130 in Hillsborough at the Civic Center Fountain Plaza. There's going to be music sharing and the reading of the official National Day of Prayer prayer in Kaiser at 730 in the morning. Uh, until 9 o'clock at the Kaiser Civic Center. There's going to be a breakfast. It's $10 per person. Uh, advanced res- registration is possible. Um, at this point, I'm not sure whether or not that's uh, still the case, but the Kaiser Chamber of Commerce is responsible. Uh, in Lake Oswego, from noon to 1, they're going to gather at the Lake Oswego City Hall in the back near the flagpole. There's going to be a time for songs and prayer from uh, 12 to 1. In Oregon City, from 7 a.m. to 8.30 at the Pioneer Community Center. That's hosted by the Collective Church in Oregon City. And they, uh, they're doing a great job as uh, expressing themselves as the body of Christ in Oregon City. And they're going to gather at the uh, Pioneer Community Center from 7 a.m. to 8.30. Uh, in Portland, at 8.30 a.m. until 9 a.m., there's an opportunity at the Greater Portland Baptist Church to gather at the pole, there's going to be a time for Pledge of Allegiance, uh, sing songs and pray for the country. Again, that's at Greater Portland Baptist Church on Southeast Main Street in Portland, 8.30 a.m. until 9. At uh, In Powell Butte, uh, at 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., there's going to be a, uh, an opportunity at the Shiloh Ranch Cowboy Church. Uh, it's a sort of an open house for prayer. You can come and go as is convenient for you. Uh, they're also going to have prayer materials available to help you focus your prayers for the nation. Again, at in Pal Butte, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. at the Shiloh Ranch Cowboy Church. Uh, in Salem, uh, at 8 a.m. until 10 a.m. at Willamette University, uh, Gowdy Commons. There's the second annual Marion County Breakfast of Believers. You can meet in the north area just past the cash register. So I suppose you get your breakfast and meet again. That's in Salem at the Willamette University Gowdy Commons. Um, also in Salem from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at Salem Riverfront Pavilion. There's an opportunity to pray together with others. There'll be singing and prayer. Uh, again, 10 a.m. to 2 uh, p.m. at the uh, Salem Riverfront Pavilion. Also in Salem, from noon to 1 on the Capitol Steps, there's an hour of prayer and worship. Um, 
And Seaside, 7.30 a.m. until 9 a.m. at Duger's Seafood and Grill. There's a buffet-style breakfast. The cost is $5. It begins at 7.30. There's going to be a prayer and songs uh, and a program from 8 to 9, but uh, things begin with breakfast at 7.30 a.m. And finally, in Tillamook, from noon to 12.45 at the Tillamook County Courthouse, there's a proclamation of the National Day of Prayer. Community leaders are going to be leading in song and prayers. You can also find this list at OregonFaithReport.com. It includes other areas that are not uh, heard by this station, but you can find out if you happen to be in another area across the state if there's a National Day of Prayer event for you um, at OregonFaithReport.com. There's also great uh, news about Oregon's faith community there um, as well. Well, the Alliance Defending Freedom sent a letter uh, Wednesday to the superintendent of the a Downington area school district on behalf of two teenagers who were berated by a school official for peacefully engaging in free speech about abortion on a public sidewalk outside of one of the district's schools. Now, these are teenagers. One of the teens captured the vice principal of uh, student life, Zach Ruff, on video, angrily shouting at them, demanding that they leave and eventually attempting to rip a sign out of their hands in a manner that legally constitutes assault. And I should mention that the vice principal... Uh, used uh, significant profanity in that uh, effort as well. Well, Alliance Defending Freedom attorneys representing Connor and Lauren Haynes, the, the two teenagers and their parents, are asking the school district to send a memorandum to Downingtown um, STEM Academy employees, students, and parents explaining the constitutionally protected freedoms that citizens like Lauren and Connor have to speak on the sidewalks around the school. The letter also requests that the district... And the uh, the te- the vice principal himself together send a letter to the two teenagers acknowledging the violation of their rights and assuring them that it won't happen again. Uh, they're also suggesting that in the event that they choose not to, a legal remedy might be required. Well, since the incident on the 21st of April, many of the uh, public school students and parents have followed uh, the example of the teacher sending Connor and Lauren, the teenagers, hundreds of messages indicating they completely misunderstand the concept of free speech. I mean, after all, they think they can just speak freely. Uh, in fact, some of those comments were threatening and vulgar. Now, no one should ever be harassed and berated by a government employee on a public sidewalk simply for peacefully engaging in one of the most common free speech activities, according to the ADF senior counsel, Kevin Thurot. Uh, The severity of this situation, as easily seen in the video, uh, the school district should ensure that both Connor and Lauren, the teenagers, as well as anyone else who would engage in protected free speech, feel confident that it um, that it won't. We're going to continue to follow this story, an example of how um, free speech is being threatened and particularly in areas um, that have been designated as sacrosanct. Again, we'll continue to follow the story. Well, we are out of time. I hope you'll join us here tomorrow on the National Day of Prayer. We'll also talk with the author of The Operator, Firing the Shot That Killed Bin Laden, uh, and my years as SEAL Team Warrior, right here on The Georgine Rice Show. I want to thank Clark Hilton for engineering today's program, James Blend for producing, and thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.